morning. You want to open up to Ruth. I think what we can do is uh, just do a, a review here, kind of what we talked about last week, set the context, and then uh, I'll read Ruth 1 here. And actually, I think I will use the PowerPoint because it's the first part of its review. So, Okay. So we're going through Ruth. Um, Ruth is in between Judges and 1 Samuel, and the reason is because it's set in the time of the Judges, and it's setting the stage for 1 Samuel, because Naomi ends up being David's, well, I'm going to get it mixed up here, great-grandmother, and then Ruth, grandmother, I think that's right. Um, and so that's we're kind of where we are in context of you know the scope of scripture and what we talked about last week was how Ruth is a lot like Job and the reason that it's important and I think it's helpful to think about Ruth as kind of a different type of Job is there's some things that are super similar there's some things that are strikingly different and in both cases I think it highlights Uh, so we talked about let's see here so it starts out with a famine this is Ruth and then they go to Moab, so maybe it's going to get better, because now we've got a little bit of food, and then her husband dies. Well, but her sons get married, maybe that's going to be okay. Maybe she'll have some grandkids, both of her kids die. She's got two daughters-in-law, and at least she's got them, and then there's another famine. And so then finally we hear that Israel has food, and so just things just keep getting worse and worse and worse for Naomi. It's very similar to Job here, where uh, you kind of have the same pattern in the first chapter where in Job, you know, first all the livestock die and then more of the livestock die and then more of the livestock die and um, as well as the servants and one always escapes just to make sure he knows everybody died and then eventually his kids die and it just th- keep things just keep getting worse and worse and worse and so let's see here that's just kind of a way to think about uh, Ruth here is a book about, there's a lot about suffering. And so we talked about that. And one of the reasons we, I felt like it was helpful and important is because several commentaries uh, take the position that, you know, all this that's going on in, in Ruth chapter one is just a result of Ruth's sin and the sin of the family. And the reason we don't want to take that position is a couple of reasons. One, that's exactly what Job's friends do to him, and they were wrong, right? They come to him and it's like, well, all this bad stuff's going on, surely it's because of your sin. So we don't want to do the same thing to Naomi that they did to Job when the Bible's saying don't do that. And then specifically Jesus in the New Testament says, you can't know why suffering happens to different people unless God specifically tells you, and if he hasn't, um, we shouldn't presume. And so we don't know exactly why all this happened, um, and we do know that there was some sin that we talked about marrying somebody who's not uh, an Israelite or isn't, you know, worshiper of Yahweh, that that's definitely forbidden in the Old Testament. Uh, it's not forbidden to marry someone who's from a different country if they are worshiping God and have converted, um, and we'll see that later on in the end, even in Ruth, but... So we just talked about that. We talked about suffering specifically from the outside looking in. You know, some warnings there. Warnings not to assume we know exactly why somebody's going through what they're going through. Warnings uh, not to really play God and tell somebody, well, I think you're going through this and this is what God's doing when we don't know. Uh, 
warnings specifically not to look down on people that are suffering if they're mourning. Uh, I gave the example if I told you guys, hey, I'm going through a really rough time right now, and then I prayed and I ended my prayer this way, God, um, please turn your face away from me so I can smile before I die. Amen. Well, that's Psalm 39. That's the end of Psalm 39. <laughs> or, you know, um, and so the Bible is really comfortable with people being honest with God, with people feeling deep sadness and hurt and expressing that to God. And are we comfortable with that? And we want to be aware that people are going to mourn, and that's okay. And people are going to say things like, um, I just don't know if I can keep going on. And like Paul said, I despaired even of life itself. And we want to know that going in, and we don't want to quelch that or tell people, well, that's just because you're immature or something like that. So that's kind of what we talked about last week, looking at suffering from the outside, and then this is kind of part two, which is going to be a lot of similar thoughts, but from looking at it from the opposite perspective, from the inside. What about not just how can we help people who are going through suffering, which ultimately what we said last week was only God can help people, right? God is the God of all comfort. What can we do? We can point them to the Lord. We can trust the Lord, and we can be there for them. But ultimately, God's going to help people. And we can be there with them, um, the people that God's placed in, in our life. And we want to ask God to help them. We can pray for them. And we can point them to the Lord. And so this week, we're going to look at it from the inside. Okay, People look at it from the perspective of Ruth or Naomi, um, specifically, suffering from the inside. And so maybe a word, not just to people on the outside, but what if you're going through suffering? What does the Bible teach us here? All that's review. All right, let's read here Ruth 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malhan and Shalon. And they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moab, Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpha, and the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years. Both Malon and Shalon died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard that the field, in the fields that Moab, in the fields of Moab, that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her Two daughter-in-law, two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each of you in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband, and if I should say, I hope, and even if I should have a husband this night, and bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore restrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lift up their voices and wept again, and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her, and she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. 
For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem, and when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Okay. So what can we learn here from this section specifically about suffering from the inside, from when we're going through suffering? First off, we can just say specifically, nobody's going to escape this problem. Everyone in this sinful world is going to suffer, whether that's emotionally, physically, whether it's uh, suffering from a desire to understand that can be like an intellectual um, wrestling that hurt, you know, it can even hurt. Um, it could be relational. It, there's so many aspects of suffering in this sinful fallen world, and it's a real problem. It's something that is difficult. And so what can we do? Because one day we're all going to be here when suffering is not just day in, day out, but overwhelming. And I'm going to, uh, again, compare Job and R Ruth and Naomi here. Uh, and so, uh, this is a lot. You don't have to take all this in right now. I'm just going to go point by point. So the first thing is the first point. Don't let the difficulty drive you to let go of God's sovereignty. Don't let the difficulty drive you to let go of God's sovereignty. Okay, so that's, I'm just going to go through this top row. Job and Ruth. Job and Ruth. In both cases, both Job and Ruth don't let go of God's sovereignty in the midst of suffering. Job specifically says, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. It's God. God's still in control. Um, the same with Ruth. Ruth is very clear that it was the Lord who put this upon her. The Lord was, has, it's been bitter and it's the Lord's hand that's on me. Uh, she said it testified against me is, is the way she talked about it and so one thing we want to learn is not to let go of the sovereignty of God I actually had two books I was going to bring and then I walked off without them but there are actually two books on the sovereignty imagine I'm holding two books <laughs> and uh, there are actually two books about the exact same question the problem of suffering and the sovereignty of God one is called The Invisible Hand and the other one is called Is God to Blame and it's remarkable how similar and different they are. One, they both start out with this story of a lady who loses a child and, and wrestling through it. And both are talking about how they're counseling with a lady, different ladies. And they give different answers. Somebody recommended uh, these books. Um, anyways, and they answer them totally different. And at least for me, it takes time for things to kind of sink in. And I just read something and I let it digest for a while, but... After reading the uh, the book on the right, uh, I'm pretending that I'm holding, called Is God to Blame, I realized 
after reading it, basically the answer that this person was giving to suffering people was an answer the Bible never gave anywhere. And it really struck me. It's like, this is never how the Bible answers suffering. And the, basically the answer was basically, yeah, God's in control, but not full control. And so when suffering happens, it's going to happen somewhere, but it's not God. You know, God didn't plan any of these specific things or whatever. And it just hit me uh, after just letting it digest. It's like they're trying to alleviate suffering, but they're doing it in a way the Bible never does. The Bible never takes the burden off God's back. Nobody in the Bible ever says, yeah, but God's not really in control. And that can help you alleviate the problem of suffering. It always is landing on the squarely on the shoulders of God. Um, and ne- the Bible never takes the burden or difficulty off God's sovereignty. God is in control. And it's not a comfort to take that burden off God and say, well, God's not really in control. Uh, that's never how the Bible answers the problem of suffering. Not even close. And so we don't want to do that. Um, we want to wrestle with this difficulty. It's difficult. And that's kind of part of what we're talking about here is like reading through this and when you experience difficulty and suffering, it's hard. It's a, it's a problem. It's wrestling. It's God. I, and, and you're crying out to God and you're expressing your, the difficulty. But we want to wrestle from the correct angle. Okay? And we want, we want to come at it from the biblical angle, which is always the angle of God being in control. We don't want to let go of that. Leave the burden on God's shoulders because the Bible always does. Always. The answer is never God couldn't stop this or God didn't know what was going to happen tomorrow. The answer is always God's in control, both to Job and in Ruth here. A couple verses, Proverbs 16.33, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Jeremiah thirty two seventeen Ah Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. God could stop any suffering he wanted at any moment. We don't want to ever take that away from him uh, in an attempt to make the difficulty less that we're wrestling with. We want to let God be God. That's the first thing. And just a caveat, I'm not saying that makes... It any, I'm not saying that makes it go away, right? It's not going to make the difficulty go away. But what we're saying is, in the difficulty, we want to be approaching it from the right position, okay? Always from the position of God's sovereignty, because that's what the Bible teaches. Because we want to be dealing with the real God. <laughs> um, okay, so number two. Suffering from the inside. And this is very similar to what we said last week. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to mourn in suffering. So here we are. This is the second one. And after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth and said, Let me perish. Let the day perish on which I was born. And the night said, A man is conceived. Uh, Ruth says not the exact same thing, but a very similar thing where she's just deeply mourning. Things that you might think if somebody said it out loud to you, well, this is shocking. Well, it is shocking. Um, but God can handle it, okay? Uh, Ruth says, do not, uh, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So she literally says, like, change my name to bitter, and stop, you know, don't call me Naomi anymore, call me bitter. 
because God's been bitter against me. That would be kind of striking. Um, any announcements today? Yes, Mike over here. Uh, I want everyone to stop calling me. Um, I'm choosing a name that nobody's here. Uh, I'll just say me. Andrew, stop calling me Andrew. I want everyone to call me bitter because God's been bitter against me. That would be really shocking. <laughs> you can feel the weight and difficulty that this person, the angst in their soul when somebody says something like that. That this is, I mean, we don't want to take this and make this like some sort of fairy tale, like Bible land that's not real. It's like, this really happened. Like, people are really saying this. And in real life, people really say stuff like this. It might not be this exact kind of statement, but people, when they're wrestling with difficult and extremely difficult suffering, they express it in ways that are, sh- are shocking. And the reality is, it's okay. It's okay to mourn. Uh, it's okay to mourn. Job mourns. Naomi mourns. Jesus mourns. Think about Jesus weeping at Lazarus' tomb. Jesus, here is his friend died, and actually that's a good picture of God still being in control because you know, he could have gone, but he waited, and he tells his disciples, basically, I'm glad that I waited because now you get to see the power of God. Um, but he still weeps. He mourns. Jesus in the garden, he's expressing even things like, God, let this cut pass from me. I'm sorrowful even to the point of death. It's, uh, there's mourning and mourn. Mourn. Okay? If you're on suffering, if you're in suffering, extremely difficult or just normal difficulty, mourn. It's okay to mourn. The world was not meant to be like this. Parents were not meant to bury their kids. It was never meant to be like that. And so the right response is sorrow, deep sorrow, because this is not right. <laughs> the world is not right. And even in times when our sin is what causes it, even if it is our sin that causes uh, suffering, we can still mourn. And mourn both for our sin, but also mourn just that the, this is the way the world is. Be honest with God and with others. Be honest with God and with others. you got these things in your heart. Where's the best place to go? With your suffering, your sorrow, your mourning? Go to God. Be honest with God. Talk to God about it. Tell Him, this is how I'm feeling. I'm feeling X. I feel like giving up. I feel like whatever, whatever it is. Tell God. Tell God exactly how you feel. Here's a psalm. Here's a command from, the, from God. Trust in Him at all times. O people, pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Psalm 62.8. Here's a command. Pour out your heart to God. And I think we talked about this last time. That doesn't mean pour out all your good and pretty thoughts to God means pour out whatever's in your heart. Pour out your heart to God. That's the right place to go. Give it to the Lord. Here's another verse that from that same psalm, Psalm 62. How long will you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? It's like he's pouring out how he feels. Like how long can this possibly keep going on? He is being honest with God. And be honest with others. I mean, there's a difference between discretion and honesty, right? You don't have to say everything to everybody. But there's a reality that none of us are sufficient in of ourselves, that we need each other. God put us here in a church, put us with families, put us with people around us because we're not self-sufficient and we need support, we need others. We need to bear one another's burdens. 
So should you maybe raise your hand in the meeting and say, I'm going to change my name to Bitter? Like, you could pray about it. <laughs> you know, there may be a sense in which you don't. But you might say that to somebody else. You might tell your friends that. You might talk to your wife about it or your husband about it or your close friend about it. This is how I really feel. Um, and not to say that there's not times where people can be honest. Absolutely. All that is to say, um, you want to be honest with God, number one, but be with others too. And you see her friends here, Naomi, Naomi or Mara, her friends, you see her telling them how she feels, and you really see a good sense in which Ruth is a friend to her, and she's not leaving her. She's not. She didn't say, "Wow, the things you're saying just are a little extreme," and so I'm gone. You know, I'm leaving. She's there. So one, don't the difficulty of of suffering drive you to release the sovereignty of God? Hold on to that. Number two, mourn, and it's okay to mourn. Be honest with God. Be honest with others. Uh, use wisdom. And then last, trust God. Trust God. And you heard that in Psalm 62, trust him at all times, pour out your heart before him. You can do both, okay? It's not one or the other. It's n- Trusting God doesn't mean you never have any difficulties or doubts that you have to express to God or uh, angst or you know questions. You can trust God and have the difficulties and pray them to God. You can be both. You can be struggling and be trusting God. And you really see that here in Naomi as this example. She is struggling. And she's saying all these things, right? Mourning and saying things that we would be shocked if somebody came up to us and said. And yet, we still see a sense of which she's trusting God. She's committing her daughter-in-law to God. May the Lord bless you and be with you. I mean, she still believes God's in control and God's out for people's good and I can pray to him. And she does it. And so you see her faith shining through even in the midst of difficulty and trial and suffering. And we want to be like that. We want to trust God. Uh, trust God in the, in, the, in the middle of the difficulty. Trust God. And here's one thought, just an observation from this section. When you're in the middle of the trial, it just doesn't make sense. You're trusting God in the dark, right? It's like, Remember when Abraham, God asked him to sacrifice Isaac? And he's like, I guess I'll do it, but did that make sense in the moment? It's like, it did not make any sense. It's like, this can't be right. <laughs> Surely God's not going to ask me to do this, and then what's going to happen? You know, I guess he can raise him from the dead. You know, He's just like, this is, doesn't make sense until he gets all the way through. And he sees, oh wow, God provided a lamb. God came through. He wasn't going to actually have me to sacrifice Isaac. The same here with Naomi. It's like in the middle of the difficulty, she can't see what God's doing. She doesn't know where this is going. It looks like it's just going to go down and down, all the way down. She doesn't know that she's going to have a grandson. Uh, yeah, a great grandson. Is that right? <laughs> she's going to have offspring <laughs> that um, that's going to lead to be the king of Israel, the greatest king Israel ever had. And of ultimately, Jesus being born. She has no idea at this moment. There's darkness in the middle of a trial. You don't know how God's going to resolve it until the end. And so we trust God where we are. Trust God in the dark. And just know, there's a time of waiting. It's like, yeah, this, isn't, this doesn't make sense yet. There's many times like that where a full 
life can feel like that, where it's like, this doesn't make sense. You know, have you ever known somebody that died young? It's like, it's like it feels like this does not make sense. This is not a complete picture. There's something missing here. There shouldn't be going on. And the reason is because it's, you're in the middle of the story. It's not the end of the story. Each individual person's life, our own individual lives, are just a tiny piece of the larger narrative of what God's doing. Right? It's not going to be until Jesus returns and puts all the pieces right that we really see the end of the story. Because each one of us is not the point. Right? God, Jesus, all knees bowing to him and, and confessing his name. That's the point. The glory of God in the end, putting all things right. And so for Naomi, it may have felt like this her whole life. She may never have really full, well, she, we know for sure she never fully saw what happened because it was not until uh, you know, thousands of years later that Jesus was, was born and then or a thousand years later, Jesus was born, and then ultimately, you know, whenever he returns. But the reality is, each one of us is like that. Our life is not the complete picture. There's going to be loose ends. There's going to be things that don't seem to make sense because the story's not over yet, because Jesus hasn't completed it, because we're not the point. The reason my life doesn't feel like it may not feel like a complete story arc is because it's not. It's just a little piece of what God's doing in the grand scheme of things. And so just like here, in Naomi's life, this was very difficult. She never fully got to see the end, but one day she will. And she'll be able to look back and maybe have a counseling session. I don't know how it's going to work, but I'm just... I'm not saying this dogmatically. I'm speaking figuratively. (laughs) Um, Jesus is going to come up and tell her a little counseling session. Remember all that suffering? Here's what I was doing. I know it was hard, but I knew you could get through it. I, I would help you to trust me. And here's what I was, here's what I was doing. I was going to have David be born, and then eventually Jesus. And you are the great, 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 however many great grandmother of Jesus, God in the flesh, who died to save you and every other person who trusts. It's like, wow, what an amazing thing. But she didn't know that at the time. And so it felt like, how ah, these pieces aren't fitting together. Uh, what's God really doing here? I'm not sure, but I'm going to trust him. And when we're in the middle, we're not going to see the whole picture. It's very, very, very rare in the Bible where God comes and he gives this larger overarching narrative. But yet, when it doesn't make sense, in the middle of the trial, we trust him. We mourn. We're honest with God. doesn't mean there's no difficulty, but we continue to trust. It's kind of like, uh, you ever seen the, like, those like sculptures from... I think it's, oh boy, maybe I'm going to show my ignorance here. Michelangelo, he did a lot of the, did he do Moses and um, David and all that? It's like, imagine we all took a field trip or whatever somehow, this would be, and we're all watching Michelangelo chisel and somebody raises their hand in the back. It's like, you messed up there if he's halfway done with this sculpture. Wouldn't that be kind of presumptuous? (laughs) It's like, like super, super great talent and God-given ability there to in the middle of the work to realize, yeah, I know better than him. So he's just a person, right? But think about God. God is the one shaping and crafting history, and he's not done yet. It's not all wrapped up yet. The, the story's not finished yet, and so we want to wait and be patient and not criticize in the middle like, well, God, that looks like a mistake right there. We could say, God, to me, from this point of view, I don't know how you're going to fix that. It looks like a mistake, but you're God and I'm not, and I'm going to trust you. 
but help me to get through it because it feels hard. <laughs> so I'm going to give you an illustration kind of of these, this last point that Okay, it's interesting to me, and if it's not interesting to you, you can zone out for the next two minutes. And you can also be glad because I was going to give like three or four of these, and my wife was like, "You better just stick to one," <laughs> because it's like people might. It's it's a brain teaser, um, and these things are interesting to me. And um, just be glad I'm not giving you three of these in a row. So, so basically, here's an illustration of this kind of idea, I'll kind of explain it at the end, but here's the brain teaser. Is you, if you have a piece of pencil and a paper, you can try this, like even a little kid could do this. Um, and I'll give you like a minute or so. So the goal is, you get to draw three straight lines, and you have to connect all the dots. But they have to be touching. So you can't put, lift up your pencil. So here's one line, two lines, and then you got a third line, but you got to get all the dots connected. Okay? So three straight lines cannot lift up your pencil. And you got to connect all nine dots. So I'll give you a second to try it. And while you're trying it, I'm going to keep talking. Um, just to kind of give this... I, I'm giving an illustration that basically is this. Here's this nine dots, right? You can connect these with three lines without lifting up your pencil. Think about history as like a million dots, <laughs> you know, or a billion dots with a, you know, a million factors, you know. If, if we can't figure out how to connect three dots on a screen, you know, can't we say that, well, maybe there's things going on that God knows about that I don't understand with the million dots, and maybe there is. God actually has a plan, and he really is going to work it all for good. If we're limited enough to where we can't connect nine dots on a piece of paper, then we probably can't connect the million, billion dots of history better than God, right? <laughs> and so that's kind of the illustration of this. Now, let me ask you this. Anyone think this is impossible? You can't actually do it with three straight lines? <laughs> it wouldn't be a very good illustration. <laughs> but you might feel in your heart like, no, that's not possible. You actually cannot connect these. Now, what if I started telling you facts? Ready? Are these, these facts might not help you um, to believe it anymore, but I'll tell you them. Okay, there's nine dots here. You only get three lines, and you can't lift up your pencil. So that means each line must go through three dots. Each line has to go through three dots, or you're never going to get hit all three. So if you draw a line with only going through two dots, you mess up, restart. And each line must be straight. You cannot bend the rules and, and bend the line. It has to be a straight line. And each line must be connected. And it's possible. Just knowing all the facts, but you don't see how it all fits together, it doesn't really help. <laughs> it's, and it can feel like that in the moment when you're going through suffering. It's like, I know God's working this out for good. I know he's in control. I know he has a plan. But right now, I do not see how this is all going to come together. And I could tell you all the facts. I could tell you all the verses. But right now, I just have to trust God. So the point of this illustration is one is just to show our limitedness, right? It's like here's this really simple thing, you know, and there's points at which we just can't see things. It's like, wow, I, I didn't see that possibility. I couldn't figure it out. 
And if this is just this little tiny thing, what about the whole world and every single person in it and all their needs and, and how God wants to glorify himself? So much more complicated. And there might be a moment where we don't see how both can be true, right? Like, anybody figure it out? I, think, I don't think that's... Okay. Okay. We got one? Okay. Awesome. Um, very good. <laughs> we got one person that figured it out. And that may be how it is in real life. It's like, I think I really know what God's doing here. <laughs> Great. <laughs> that's awesome. But until you see the solution, it's like, man, I just can't get my mind around how this is going to be. And I think that's what it's going to be like on Judgment Day. You know, it's like, wow, God really did work it all for good. <laughs> I didn't see how he was going to fit all these things together, and then he did. Praise the Lord. And it may seem obvious. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. So, all right, you ready for the solution? Uh, that's not the solution. That's the solution. So, yeah, kind of interesting. It's actually kind of a good, it's like a double illustration because you have to actually zoom out to be able to do it. If you, keep, if you try and do it all like right in this little tiny box, you'll never fit it all. You have to actually zoom out and think about it kind of bigger than you were thinking about it. It's kind of like God. Right? It's actually uh, God seeing it like from a way bigger perspective than we are. And so praise the Lord that he's in control. Um, what in the moment seems impossible now, it makes sense in hindsight. Right? Haven't you had those situations with God where it's like, man, this does not seem good. I don't know how you're going to work this out. I, I can't see right now how I, at the end of this I'm going to say God did it all for good. And then he does. And in some way you did not expect it all. And he works it out. And we can say, praise the Lord. There are possibilities that we can't see yet because we're limited human beings. We don't want to make light of the difficulty of suffering. This is kind of a light illustration, but the reality is we're talking about really difficult things going on in people's lives with Naomi here, you know, losing her two sons. That's a huge deal. It's very difficult. It's still going to hurt. But Jesus felt the sorrow of sin. We can, uh, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. This is Matthew 26. And going a little further, Jesus fell on his face and prayed, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. We can trust God, even in the middle of the, middle of the difficulty, even in the middle of the hurt. Just going to say my three points and then uh, close. Don't let go of God's suffering. In the, don't let go of God's sovereignty in the midst of suffering. Mourn and be honest with God and trust Him. Even if you can't see the end, see what God's doing, trust. You can trust that He's what He's doing is kind and it's for your good. And one day it's all going to be wrapped up in Jesus. And that's when it's all going to make sense. Well, then why don't we pray here together and Father, we do just pray for the people all over the world right now in the midst of suffering, difficulty emotionally, physically, spiritually, relationally, um, just a lot of difficult things. And we're just asking, would you be near to people? Would you draw them to yourself? Would you help us to trust you in the midst of our trials? Help us to be honest with you. Um, 
we won't, we don't want to have a superficial relationship with you. We really do want to pour out our heart, our emotions, even our most ugly or um, difficult emotions. We want to pour them all out to you. And uh, would you give us uh, help in doing that? Give us wisdom. Uh, give us friends that we can talk to and that can uh, lift us up and care for us and point us back to you. Help us to be those friends to other people in the midst of their suffering. Help us to weep with those who weep and um, ultimately to trust you even in the midst of uh, difficulty. We want to be um, more like you, Jesus, and we need your help to do that. We're thankful. Father, that you're in control and you have a plan. And we do say, come Lord Jesus. Uh, we, we want you to return and put all things right. We're looking forward to the day when um, no more sin and suffering. And you put everything right. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.